2: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. In the 13 years since a high-speed rail system through California got its first funding, China has managed to complete 23,500 miles of operating high-speed rail lines around that country. Here in California, we're still at, uh, yep, still at zero miles. It's such a beautiful, climate-friendly dream, and it has gone dreadfully. We'll dig into the latest funding controversies, and then... We check in on an investigation into the hedge funds who cashed out billions of dollars worth of PG&E stock while regular people await their crumbs from the bankruptcy settlement. Apparently, it's Broken Infrastructure Day. Next on Forum, after this news. This is Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. The dream of a high-speed rail line zipping you from San Francisco to Los Angeles remains compelling. As our listeners have pointed out in recent shows, we don't really have a climate solution to long-distance air travel, and an electric train would certainly fit the bill within our state. And just imagine it. No airport, just ride your electric bike to the station, hop on, get off in L.A. That is actually a California that I'd like to see exist, and countries across the world have actually pulled it off. But billions of construction dollars in, we can say that our project has not gone well. The estimated cost keeps spiraling up and the completion date has receded over the horizon. Now the Los Angeles Times reports that the project will have to find at least another billion dollars shortly to satisfy its contractors. And somehow worse, there are questions about whether it will even be high speed or electric. Ugh. In a world where we're counting on rebuilding our entire infrastructure to fight global warming, this is a worrying sign about our actual capacity as a state and nation right now. So joining us to share the latest on the long-delayed dream of the Bullet Train project, we have Ralph Vardabedian, national correspondent for the Los Angeles Times. Welcome, Ralph. Hi. Thanks very much for having me, Alexis. Thanks for coming on. We also have Kathleen Ronayne, a reporter with the Associated Press based in Sacramento. Welcome, Kathleen.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
2: Yeah. So, Ralph, this, we've been talking about the bullet train for a long time here in the state. I was hoping you could give us a capsule history. You've been covering this for a long time. You know it inside and out. So what are sort of the, if you gave us just the, the milestones um, through the last 20 years?
3: Oh, my goodness. 20 years. Well, uh, in the mid-80s, there was a commission formed uh, during uh, Jerry Brown's first term as governor. Um, subsequently, um Uh, An authority was formed by the state um, legislature, and in 2008, after a lot of delays uh, in passing a bond act, the legislature authorized a a bond act, and and later that year it was approved uh, by not quite 53%. It wasn't a great margin. There was no organized opposition to it, and (laughs) it was strongly backed by... um, engineering firms and and labor unions that uh, contributed the bulk of the funding. And this was during the Obama
2: election, too, so you had a a, a groundswell on the left as well. Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, It didn't uh, – construction didn't get underway uh, immediately. Uh, The first construction contract was let in 2013 at a time when the uh, Rail Authority didn't own a single parcel of land. And uh, they said they would start construction in six months, and that just absolutely didn't happen. There's no way it could happen. Um, And uh, then they subsequently issued two more construction contracts uh, along 119 miles uh, in the Central Valley from roughly Madeira to Wasco. Um, And it's been dogged ever since by uh, a wide variety of uh, problems. Uh, Probably the biggest one is, uh, the ability to uh, acquire the land needed, um, there's roughly 2,000 parcels in total that they decided they would need originally. It was uh, under 1,500, um, so it's grown by 500 pieces of land. Um, there, uh, the, the, the legal process is slow. Uh, the appraisals were difficult to make because this is complex farmland. Many people uh, felt they weren't getting a good uh, deal from the um, state. Other people were generously rewarded, so it's been uneven. And And, um, can I ask you about that
2: particular, you know, the right of way acquisitions? You know, I've looked into this uh, for Bart. And they were actually able to move, like, pretty fast, actually possibly too fast in acquiring all this land. So what kind of change to make this a more difficult process from, you know, when we were building highways and uh, the BART in the 1960s to uh, when we we're trying to build this high-speed rail?
3: Oh, I don't know that uh, the law changed. It may have. Um, but, um, you know, clearly CEQA changed, and, and that set up a whole different set of conditions uh, for environmental approval mm-hmm. um, the I think one of the big things in in the nineteen sixties when we might have done i five in the central valley was that was that was open land really a lot of that land i think was under state control in the first place, and it was at the west end of the central valley the, um, much less intensively uh, farmed um, very few people are out there uh, and Um, the highway went along existing transportation corridor. So those were all some factors that may have uh, come into play. Yeah.
2: Kathleen uh, Ronane, I wanted to ask you about where we've been, you know, in kind of a quagmire (laughs) here with high-speed rail. So what's the situation now um, with the governor, with the state legislature and and just kind of politically in the state?
1: Yeah. So I think one of the issues with high-speed rail at this point is that it doesn't really have a political champion, so Governor Jerry Brown was was a pretty strong advocate of the project. Uh, Governor Newsom has been less so, you know, in his first state of the state, he was um, pretty clear that we didn't have the, the money or the path to um, pursue the train as, as had been envisioned, though he still says he wants to get there. Um, but he sort of said, let's focus on this area in the Central Valley. And since then, um, there's his administration hasn't necessarily championed it. Right. And so I think you sort of see it kind of moving along and you don't there's no real political will to invest more money in it and to try to speed it along, but there's also no real political will to say, let's just be done with this thing. And so Mm -hmm. it kind of uh, just continues moving along, but there's no real, you know, we still don't have enough anywhere near enough money to do the whole thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what's happening immediately is, you know, they're in dispute over whether or not the, state should release the rest of the bond money to the high-speed rail project. So this is from the 2008 voters, bond money. From the 2008 bond. So voters approved nearly $10 billion. I think about nine was for the project. And there's about $4 billion left in that bond fund. So the high-speed rail authority, is they've asked for it to be released. They say they need it to continue construction beyond next summer. And the governor wanted to release it to them in his budget. But state lawmakers, particularly uh, in the assembly, they are hesitant to to give it all up. I think one of the reasons is because the, uh, money is really the only, they're only like true means of control over the project, right? So if they give mm-hmm. up the rest of the bond money, um, they sort of lose a bargaining chip, right? So they are, they ended the legislative year without any agreement on what to do with this money. Um, they, Assemblywoman Laura Friedman, who's chair of the Transportation Committee, said they hope to have some, deal in January, but they're pretty far apart on how on on what they want to do. So we'll just have to see what happens over Mm -hmm. the next few months and if they're able to to reach a deal because the Assembly Democrats are proposing something different, you know, than what the than what the governor's office Mm -hmm. wants to do.
2: We're getting an update on the California High Speed Rail Project with Kathleen Ronane, a reporter with the Associated Press based in Sacramento. And Ralph Vardabedian, a national correspondent for the Los Angeles Times. And we do want to give you a chance to ask your questions about what's going on with the project. People have been following it for a long time. Give us a call now, uh, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions and comments to forum at kqed.org. Ralph Vardabedian. There are a lot of things going on with the contractors. You know, we brought in a big Spanish contractor to, to work on it who'd been building high-speed rail in Europe. Um, what's happened there? And you've know, done a lot of reporting on these change orders where essentially they've asked for more money for redesigns and other things.
3: Right. All three teams have submitted a lot of change orders, hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, the main bulk of them are from two teams uh, Tudor Perini um, building around the Fresno area and Dragados Flatiron um, a team building in Kings County Um, and um, some of them, uh, many of the change orders are directed by the uh, Rail Authority for for refinements in the design. Remember when these contracts were issued only 15 percent of the design had been completed so they really didn't have mm. um, a good guessing. idea. Yeah. And, well, they were guessing about a lot of things, and in particular, um, how they would relocate utilities. And anytime you start digging, you're going to hit sewers, water lines, gas transmission pipes, all kinds of uh, good stuff underground. And a lot, of, a lot of cases, they didn't know where those were, and they didn't really design the relocation. So as they moved along... A lot of things have had to be moved, and they issued a lot of changes. The other big segment, I mentioned that they didn't have all the land in hand, and that's been slow to be obtained. Well, when you issue a contract, uh, the contractor doesn't want to just sit around with millions of dollars of equipment, so they started filing delay claims. Delay, they were delayed because of the authority, mm. and authority couldn't argue that, and they have paid out hundreds of millions on those, too. Jeez.
2: And I mean going forward what's supposed to happen there like are they they've got to keep accepting the change orders how do they provide you know at least some uh accountability on those construction firms
3: Well they they have so many layers of reviews and consultants overseeing there there should be a lot of um scrutiny uh each of those construction teams um is um managed by a consultant uh, called a project uh, construction manager and then there are independent engineers and independent checkers uh, uh, on board and then they report to another consultant WSP and then that consultant reports to the high-speed rail authority uh, which has a lot of consultants uh, otherwise so plenty of layers of control I'm not sure. Um you can get tougher in approving those change orders, but um there that could be risky too because the construction teams uh, might not um be as cooperative as you'd like them to be. They could just say, "Well, William, we're, you you got to pay us We You owe us this money. We're going to gonna stop." And uh then it just becomes a complete um <laughs> civil war. Right.
2: Got some uh, comments from listeners. Tracy Ann writes, I cannot believe we are still having this discussion. California, like France, Italy, Germany, and Spain, that all have smaller economies in California, should have a fast, reliable, low-emission travel option through the state. If you build it, they will come. Mary, on the other hand, writes, Why is there rarely any discussion about the fact that there as yet is no reasonable way to get through the Tehachapis by rail? Also, since it's about 400 miles from SF to LA, there's no way it would take two hours to get there as originally promised at 200 miles an hour because it has to make stops and doesn't enter and exit stations at top speed. We're talking about high speed rail with Ralph Vardabedian, national correspondent for the Los Angeles Times and Kathleen Ronayne, a reporter with the Associated Press based in Sacramento. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're getting an update on the California high-speed rail project with Ralph Vardabedian, national correspondent for the Los Angeles Times, and Kathleen Ronayne, reporter with AP. Kathleen, I want to uh, start with you, and I'm going to ask you the same question, Ralph, which is if we could go back in time and we could pick a moment where this thing kind of went off the rails, where we could maybe have done something different so that we could kind of keep this project uh, moving forward or or kill it off, if that's what really needed to happen, if it wasn't feasible. Is there one of those moments in the past where we could go back and we could say, OK, that is where um, we need to we, – we should have done something different?
3: Well, probably before the 2008 Bond Act, we should have started thinking about how successful passenger rail systems evolved in Europe and Asia – and they evolved. They didn't just uh, get uh, a magic wand waved over them, and suddenly they had a bullet train. They had successful passenger rail at normal speed, and, and it was liked and um, supported, uh, attracted ri- riders, and uh, then they knew if they improved it, they'd get more riders. Uh, and they did, and they got higher fares. Um, we, on the other hand, had a very... Um, modestly successful Amtrak system in the Central Valley that didn't connect to Southern California. We didn't go the incremental approach, um, and we might have done that. It might have turned out better if we had um, started getting people used to the idea of passenger rail. And getting a direct connection from L.A. to the Central Valley was critical. Uh, Right now you have to take a Greyhound bus from Union Mm. Station to Bakersfield. That's ridiculous, and nobody wants to really be serious about that. So, I think an incremental approach might have been better um, and building up slowly, uh, getting people used to the idea of uh, riding the rails and then step by step, uh, incrementally um, building a a higher and higher speed system. Uh, We didn't do that at all. It's not totally, at some point, you'd, you'd jump off the diving board, but we did it before there was really. Any water in the pool. Public. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, Kathleen, uh, how about you? Do you see a, a political moment or, or something where things could have gone differently?
1: Well, that's a good question. I, know, I don't know that I can point to one thing specifically. Obviously, this project has been going on for decades. But speaking about the politics of it, you know, it was um, my, my understanding is that it was always – Complicated to find to find the the votes for this, and I know that one of the criticisms that people have is, you know, the decision to start the train um, in the in the Central Valley. Which there are a couple reasons, you know, that that was done. One of them being um, the first round of money that we got from the federal government um, under President Obama's administration. I believe stipulated that you know the construction uh, be done in the Central Valley. So there have always been kind of some strings attached to some of the different pots of money that have mm. you know, governed sort of how this has gotten built. And I think one of the things that you're seeing now um, in the legislature is you have lawmakers from Los Angeles in particular who are really starting to get frustrated by this project because it's going to be a long time before it gets to Los Angeles, if at all. Because right now the the plan, you know, which we don't have complete funding for, we don't have close to complete funding for is to build this train through the Central Valley then go up to the Bay Area, then eventually go down to Los Angeles. Well, most of the state's population lives in Southern California. And so you have a lot of lawmakers, Democratic lawmakers, who might be inclined to support something like this, who aren't really seeing the political benefit for them and for their region. And so they continuously try to extract kind of more money um, for their region from high-speed rail. Even this latest dispute over the the bond money with the governor they are asking some Democrats in the state assembly leading the negotiations are are saying, okay, we want to give some of this money to rail, but we also want more money from a, from a different pot, you know, for Los Angeles transit Mm projects. So there's always Mm -hmm. this political um, Mm deal-making that goes back and that goes back and forth. And so I would say sort of the way that the route was constructed um, and, you know, high-speed rail certainly has their reasons for saying why they're doing it this way, but that has caused some political political problems and, and sort of led to a lack of political support as this project has continued on. Mm, thank, thank you for that.
2: Uh, Armando from Delhi, welcome to the program.
0: Yeah, hi. I'm calling just to see what um, the role of the Farm Bureau is here in, in this whole process, because we, uh, we kind of worked on something um, here in the Valley, uh, starting kind of a while back on uh, sustainable development, but sustainable development kind of defined a different way. And that they're really trying to protect um, the farm industry here in the Central Valley from, um, from really from growth. And uh, a lot of a lot of folks here, a lot of folks in the you know, kind of farm industry here, assume that if rail goes through, especially high-speed rail goes through the valley, that's going to promote a lot of growth, and that's really going to take away from hmm. farming um, and the industry that's uh, that's already here. So anyway, I just
3: wanted to see what the that you yeah,
2: on. that's a great question. Thanks for uh, calling in, Armando.
3: Ralph? Thank you. Yeah, well, um, the supporters really do keep pointing to the need for establishing housing in the Central Valley that would support Silicon Valley. And I think uh, the point is well taken that, um, on the one hand, the Central Valley is very low income. If it were its own state, it would be one of the poorest states in the country. Uh, and uh, there's a sense that they, the states should be trying to put some money in and, and raise, uh, raise income levels and job quality out in the Central Valley. On the other hand, um, it's already growing. It's the fastest-growing area of the state, and that's going to gobble up more and more farmland. Um, it's hard to imagine the entire Central Valley would be urban at, at anytime any time in our lifetimes, but um, it's going to have an impact, and it's already having an impact. But probably water availability is having a greater impact on how much growing there is right now.
2: So we've got a few more questions about the, the route itself. Uh, commenter James writes, Why did they not choose an existing transportation route down California 99 or I-5? It seems like much cheaper, and 99 would connect cities. Thor writes, High-speed rail fan here, per the Railway Riders Association. The high-speed rail route was chosen to benefit land speculators, including Dianne Feinstein's husband, rather than for efficiency. Can your guests comment on
3: this? Is that one for to take me? Or? Yeah,
2: you could take it. Okay. Yeah.
3: Well, um, a lot of people like the I-5 route because um, there's a lot of right-of-way. You could have probably not bought very much land. Um, there aren't very many cities to go through, uh, and the overpasses are um, less frequent than on the 99. Um, it could have been bought, built much cheaper and much quicker, but um, the argument against that was, well, this, this system has to be supported not just by people getting on in San Francisco or L.A. and going the full route, but everywhere along the way. That's the ridership. The core of the ridership is people not getting off and on at the endpoints, but in between. And there's nobody in between out on the west end of the Central Valley. All the population, millions, are on the east side. Um, um, there would have been ways around that. Um, there hasn't really been a... It would be academic now, but people say, well, you could have had spur lines. Um, People could have still um, used it. Um, So that's one thing. Um, The other thing, um, on the 99, they did make a very serious decision to not follow the 99. After Fresno, the line takes a plunge through diagonally through thousands of parcels of, well, Hundreds of parcels of land diagonally cutting farm fields in triangles, Mm -hmm. all the way down to Wasco, Um, and uh, that was a discreet decision. Um, I'm not the history of it is murky. They decided not to follow the 99, which would have been much less impactful and encountered much less resistance. Yeah.
2: Let's bring in Helen from San Carlos, California. Welcome to the show, Helen.
1: Thank you. Oh, here, yeah. Can you hear
2: oh, me? We, oh, yeah, we can hear you. Go ahead.
1: So um, my question is a really comment is it's sort of uh, one of your uh, right in folks said something similar. Why is it we haven't been able to get this done? I don't understand what, quite why this is not viewed as an alternative to air travel, mm-hmm. because If you want to reduce the number of airplanes going back and forth between L.A. and, I mean, Southern California and Northern California, you've got to have an alternative form of transportation besides car travel. And the current train is 12 hours. And, you know, it's fun to take it for entertainment, but it's it's not a means of travel to get somewhere quickly. And a high-speed train is a reasonable alternative. And other countries, as Tracy said when she wrote in, do it. And what is our problem? Yeah.
2: Thank you for that Helen. I really what Kathleen is you know the other thing that's changed since 2008 is just the climate change movement has gotten much stronger. Are they actually behind high speed rail as a as a group or are they looking for other kinds of solutions?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know um, off the top of my head, you know, specifically where different groups are on this project, but certainly supporters of the project, one of the core arguments they make, right, is that this, and this is why, partly why Governor Jerry Brown was such a big advocate for this project, you know, he's a champion on uh fighting climate change you know it, it's the idea that it would both reduce car travel and air travel right and I think what's particularly interesting is you now have this debate going on in the legislature of whether the first leg of this train should even be should even be electrified and you have some lawmakers advocating that uh maybe we maybe we don't electrify this first leg which means it would be a, potentially a train that would run on diesel Um, which definitely is, you know, raising some concern among people who who see the climate benefits of a a train like this.
2: Another question on the future of transportation here. Uh, Brian and Phil, uh, Brian wants to know, um, he was initially a supporter and now is talking about the Hyperloop. And Phil's talking about self-driving vehicles making this kind of transportation um, obsolete. Ralph uh, Vardabedian, what do you think about these sort of alternative? Hyperloop seems to me like it would encounter many of the same uh, problems. And we also aren't exactly sure when and if self-driving cars are going to actually be on our roads. So what, are we seeing other technologies possibly replace high-speed rail or are they as, as far out in the future uh, as, as this project?
3: Well, they are pretty far out in the future, but this project's pretty far out in the future if you really think about the difficulty of crossing the Tehachapi Mountains and the difficulty of crossing the um, Diablo Range and the San Gabriel Range. It has three big mountain uh, chains to cross. Um, Hyperloop is, I'm, I mean, that's just an experimental system. Nobody's actually demonstrated it. and. To go all in on a 450-mile route uh, seems uh, that would be pretty uh, pretty uh, sporty. Uh, As far as self-driving vehicles, I hear a lot of people make the case, and we might get self-driving vehicles in the next decade. That you could put a dedicated lane, two dedicated lanes on the I-5, and people could have uh, gone 100 miles an hour in their autonomous vehicles. Um, It sounds intriguing. Um, Again you're betting on on a future technology and a and a future demand that we just it's hard to to know. I mean, this system rail still does work around the world um and um if we had done it differently, we uh we would probably be better off than we are now.
2: Listener Jeff in Berkeley writes Can you ask the guests for their thoughts and reflections on the fact that the Oakland Bay Bridge project went 2,500% over budget, spending $3 billion per mile for a few car lanes? Are their concerns reserved exclusively for green transportation projects, or do they also object to California's wanton spending on cars? And hold that thought for one sec. And Ken also tweets, is California's failure to build this rail system idiosyncratic or indicative of the state's inability to build big infrastructure? And I kind of wanted to combine those two and have you Answer the second one uh, in in relationship to the difficulty that we've had with a lot of big infrastructure projects. Kathleen Ronayne, why is this so difficult for us in this state right now, especially given that the budget's actually in pretty good shape and uh, we have a legislature and a governor who are all Democrats?
1: Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think there's there's a whole multitude of reasons, right? And first, you have to remember that, it, you know, yes, other countries have done this before, but in the United States, we've never done something like this. We don't have high-speed rail anywhere in the United States. There are some other projects. I believe there's one in Texas. You know, there's a private project um, but we've we've never done this. So it's, it's new to the United States. And obviously, as a nation, as a state, we have our own sort of rules around, you know, engineering and environmental clearance and, and all of those different things. Right. I also think, um, you know, Ralph mentioned earlier, obviously, California has, um, you know, its own unique set of laws, CEQA, other things like that that are going to sort of set the set the stage for how quickly we can do things like acquire land and um, and, you know, get the project up and running. And then, you know, the point I made earlier that it, as this thing has continued there, there's no, there's no real political champion for this, right? Um, you mentioned that the, the governor and the legislature are all Democrats, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to, that they're going to champion this thing. And I think, you know, to the point that one of the, one of the listeners made large infrastructure projects, tend to take a long time and tend to get delayed and tend to have cost overruns. And I'm I'm not saying there's there aren't you know unique challenges and issues and um, past, you know, management issues with this project, but this is something that tends to happen with large infrastructure projects, and I think this one in particular has just gone on for so long and had so many, you know, unique challenges or or cost overruns or or other issues that it has started to sort of bleed political support, Um, and when when you start to lose that political support in the capital, it becomes very hard to overcome, you know, different challenges that they that they may be facing. And you know, another issue is from the beginning, you know, voters were asked to approve 10 billion dollars in bond money for this thing. That was that was never even with the original estimates, that was never close to enough money for this. So I think um and i think voters were told that but i think from the start people may have thought that the costs for this were going to be significantly lower than they were so that sort of all combines to to create a lot of a lot of challenges that are just hard to untangle
2: listener heidi jane writes at an sf historical society event they showed a film from the 1960s that made the case to the public for why we needed to build bart the opponents of the bart project were making the same anti dumb anti-environment arguments they're making now the film made me cry what if the bay area hadn't gone forward with bart it's difficult to imagine let's get this going bill in san francisco writes the high-speed rail has never been more than a make work project let's be honest about this endless money pit and kill it and finally listener tweets it's unfortunate what's happening with this why hasn't the high-speed rail authority changed their management team with people who can really push this forward some of the problems started with management underestimating the implementation of such a project ralph vartabedian you've probably covered this as much as anyone uh in the world would a management change at the high-speed rail authority make a big difference, or are these really structural issues that aren't going to be solved just by changing up the people at the top?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, we have had uh, changes at the top, uh, uh, both on the uh, authority board and, and among management. Uh, a lot of new management. They come and go. The turnover is quite rapid. It hasn't really um, substantially made uh, a difference that we can measure yet, um, I think it's structural uh, in the sense that we made a decision um, after 19, after 2008 that we w- wouldn't hire a lot of people to do this. So Caltrans has 6,000 engineers. The Department of Water Resources for the dam system has thousands of scientists and engineers. This uh, rail authority has like 200 employees, uh, and it really relies on consultants. Paid consultants to um, manage uh, and design and run the whole operation. Uh, there's oversight by the, the state staff. So um, we went about this much differently than we went about more successful uh, enterprises like building dams and highways. That probably should be another lesson.
2: Yeah. Last question comment from Sam. Sam writes, why is no one talking about how the independent studies conducted to review the high-speed rail project say it will be profitable and have reliable ridership, or how the project has taken new steps to avoid the mistakes of the past, such as acquiring right-of-way before construction starts? Let's hope those things get incorporated. We've been getting an update on the California high-speed rail project with Ralph Vardabedian, national correspondent for the Los Angeles Times, and Kathleen Ronain, a reporter with the Associated Press based in Sacramento. Thank you so much for your time. Stay tuned for more Forum after this break.